Find Genesis, please. Genesis 35, and we're going to read the first seven verses. Genesis 35. Before I read that, and while you're finding that, let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed by a, by a spiritual leader? Have you ever been angry at, disgusted by someone in some role of spiritual leadership, a pastor, a minister, a, a volunteer or lay leader? If you have, then, uh, then this message is, is just for you. Genesis 35, we're going to begin at verse 7. Then God said to Jacob, go up, or in some translations it says, go back to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, or back to Bethel, as some translations have it where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is, Bethel, and the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, or El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. We're continuing this series on um, the faith of our mothers and fathers. We talked about Abraham and Sarah. We talked about Isaac and Rebekah. Today we talk about Jacob. We're going to talk about the the birthright and the blessing and Bethel and the betrothal and back to Bethel. First, the birthright. The birthright was essentially property. And the birthright that belonged to the firstborn would be at least twice the amount of, the, of what, would, what the secondborn would inherit. In this case, Esau was the firstborn. They had been married, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, for 20 years, and God finally granted them children, and it was twins, Jacob and Esau. But Esau was born first, and though uh, he beat his brother into the world only by a short time, he was still the firstborn. So the birthright belonged to Esau, twice the property that Jacob would get. But Jacob didn't like that arrangement, and so he... He figured out a way to get it for himself. He was a, he was a rather a scheming kind of fellow. And it's this interesting story in which, remember Esau was the manly man. He'd been out in the fields. Jacob enjoyed the house more. And, and Esau came in and Esau had not learned the, 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 the idea of delayed gratification. And he was hungry. And this rather conniving guy, Jacob, cheated him, cheated him out of... His birthright swapped him, his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now Jacob knew better. He, he had to know that the birthright belonged to Esau, but he tricked Esau and, and got the birthright. Then the, the blessing. The blessing of the father in those days was a really, really big deal. And again, in that culture, the blessing on the firstborn was extra special. 
Jacob knew that Esau was going to get this paternal blessing instead of himself. And so he and his mother, Rebekah, and Rebekah highly favored Jacob. They schemed, uh, came up with the plan by which Jacob would get the fatherly blessing that belonged by right to Esau. Isaac was old, he was blind, he was debilitated. Jacob sneaked in, passed himself off as Esau. It's a really interesting story. And Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob that belonged by birth to Esau. Now Jacob knew better and we're disappointed with the birthright. We're disappointed with the blessing. Jacob was an unlikely spiritual hero. He was something of a kind man. Well, Esau, of course, was going to be angry, and Rebekah, his, Jacob and Esau's mother, said, Jacob, Esau, he's a big old boy, and you better get out of here quick. And so he did. And she said, run to Laban, my brother's house, up in Haran, which is up in southern Turkey, what is now southern Turkey. So, so Jacob made his way from where they were northward toward Haran. And on the way, he stopped for the evening to rest at a place called Luz, which he named later Bethel. And the Bible says that God spoke to him there. He, he had a vision. Remember Jacob's dream, that vision while he slept of, the, of Jacob's ladder, the, the angels ascending and descending the ladder, and then at the very top stood God himself, and God spoke to Jacob. And he said, the land upon which you are lying, I will give to you and your descendants, and your descendants shall be many. Through your family, I will bless all the people of the earth. I will be with you wherever you go and will protect you. And Jacob named that place Bethel, or house of God. Make a mental note about that name Bethel, because we're coming back to it. My question as I studied for this morning was how... How could God bless and use such, a, such an undeserving guy as Jacob? After all, he's, he's something of a con man. Well, there are at least three reasons. One, Jacob is Abraham's grandson, and, and God had promised to bless Abraham's descendants, and so God is just being faithful to his promise. Second, God must have seen potential in Jacob. But the third, and the one I want to pull over and talk about is that that God blessed Jacob, an undeserving guy, because, because, well, that's what God does. God blesses and uses undeserving people. In the 1990s, Carrie and I and our family were missionaries to Nigeria. We got to celebrate that yesterday. October 1st is Nigerian Independence Day, and uh, some Nigerians in Huntsville invited us to the celebration. It was a great time to get out and dust off our Nigerian clothes and eat Nigerian food. We took our grandson, uh, Jensen, with us, and they gave him a Nigerian name, which is a big deal. His name, his Nigerian name is Ifeo Lua. They gave it to him yesterday, the love of God. It, that's a whole other story. I don't, get, I don't want to chase that rabbit, but it was a great day yesterday celebrating our days in Nigeria. When I was there, I taught at a seminary, and I did a lot of study into the history of Baptist missionary work in Nigeria. It goes all the way back to 1850. T.J. Bowen was the first Baptist missionary in Nigeria, 1850. 
Those early missionaries are my heroes. I, I learned again as I studied of, of sacrifice and commitment that are just unusual. The kind of sacrifice and commitment that I have never demonstrated. We, we seem to have been cut from a different piece of cloth. People who risked their lives, often gave their lives to fevers, to malaria, to all kinds of risks to life and limb. They, they were so committed to what we call the Great Commission, the command of Jesus to go into all the world. They were so committed to telling people about Jesus, so committed to meeting human needs that they made great sacrifices and took tremendous risks. Yesterday at that, at that Independence Day celebration, they, they turned to Carrie and me and they, they thanked us on behalf of that hundred and now seventy years of Baptist work there. They, they thanked us for the work of the missionaries, the medical work, the educational work, the evangelistic work. They were heroes to me. But they were flawed people. When I studied, I found that some of them, the missionaries of the early, like the, the, the late 1800s, 1850 and beyond, some of them lived rather ostentatious lifestyles amid great poverty. There were stories of missionaries who beat their Nigerian servants. Missionaries who bought into the, a, a common theory of the day, made popular by some really bad academicians, that people whose skin is black are by nature, by birth, inferior culturally and intellectually to people whose skin is white. It was a, a theory made popular to try to justify the enslavement of people from Africa. T.J. Bowen, who started Baptist missionary work in Nigeria, wrote about that, about the, the natural inferiority of what he called the Negro race. These are flawed people. And yet, there are millions of Nigerians who are followers of Jesus today because of those imperfect missionaries. There are people whose education was made possible by those missionaries, people whose lives were saved and enriched by the medical work of those missionaries, even democracy. There are some social scientists who say that, that democracy in, in Africa was made possible because of the message of the missionaries that everybody, not just the, the important people, but everybody is special. It's such an interesting thing that God would use such imperfect people like Jacob, and like those missionaries in Nigeria, I.N. Patterson, who was one of the Baptist missionary leaders in Nigeria in the 1960s, said this, listen, speaking of his missionary predecessors, he said, truly the Lord has hit some mighty licks with some extremely crooked sticks. The Lord has hit some mighty licks with some extremely crooked sticks, and he still does. Most of us have been disappointed by people in spiritual leadership roles. I remember the night I was so deeply disappointed by, when I was a teenager, by the one I considered to be my ministry hero, not a member of our church, but a sister church, a man that I wanted to be like, a man who had the personality and the skills, the charisma, that I, I longed for, and I, at that, those days I, I never dreamed I'd be a pastor, but I thought, I, you know, I thought I, I, maybe I might be a youth minister or music, David, I figured anybody could do that, it ain't, ain't that hard, so I thought, 
maybe I'd be a music minister and, and this guy was the guy. And I remember how deeply disappointed I was. People are leaving churches because leaders of churches have been unethical and immoral and in far too many cases have even been abusive. And I think those spiritual leaders will answer to God for those grave sins. It's such an interesting and difficult tension between, I think, James 3.1 and First Corinthians 2 Corinthians 4.1. James 3.1 says that people like me in leadership, spiritual leadership roles are held to a higher level of accountability. It doesn't say we're more, more holy or more deserving or smarter. It just says that the mantle of leadership carries with it a higher level of accountability. And yet 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, since it is by God's mercy that we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So I, I, I have this gift of being your pastor by the mercy of God. If I had to earn it every day by being super good, I'd be doing something else. So, so there's this tension. I don't want to lower the, the, the standard for spiritual leadership because James 3.1 says we're held to a higher level of accountability. And yet, 2 Corinthians 4.1 says it's a gift of mercy toward imperfect people like me. And here's where I'm going with all this. I don't want you to feel unworthy uh, to serve and lead. I'm going to take a guess that there's somebody in the church who a few weeks ago someone came to you and said I'd like to nominate you to be a deacon and you said thank you but I'm not worthy or you have sensed a leadership to some sort of ministry vocational ministry role and you've thought I'm not good enough or maybe you have an opportunity to serve in some faith-based nonprofit and you're thinking I'm not I'm not good enough I don't want to lower the, the standard that I think God would want us to hold for spiritual leaders, but at the same time, I, I don't want you to miss out on, on the opportunity to serve because you feel like you're just not good enough. Because of God's mercy, we have this gift of ministry, and therefore we do not lose heart. So please don't think you are unworthy to serve if you have an opportunity and a prompting from God's Spirit to serve. So, well, there's the, the birthright, the blessing, Bethel, and then, let's move on, then there's the betrothal. He, he ran to Laban, his uncle's house, and met there two young ladies, Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. It's a great soap opera-like story we don't have time to go into. But he worked for 14 years to earn their hands in marriage, married both of them yes he had two wives and both of them were his cousins but that was another day right so he he married his cousins Leah and Rachel and and then he was so successful that his brothers-in-law got jealous tension developed and he had to leave and that is when that's when God said go back to Bethel Go back to Bethel, God said, Genesis 35, 1, we read it and settled there. Build an altar for me at that place where I first appeared to you in a dream when you were running from your brother Esau. So Jacob went back to that place called Luz that he had named Bethel, house of God. 
There he met with God again. God confirmed that his name would no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel, that the very person for whom the nation of Israel is named was this Jacob. Bethel would forever be a defining moment for Jacob. It would forever be hallowed ground, a sacred spot where he met God. And some of us might need to go back to Bethel, to that experience, that place, that time when God was very real to you, when your, your Christian commitment was very important to you, when you loved the Bible and loved to read it and nobody had to tell you, when prayer was such a gift that you cherished, when you loved the church, when service through the church was at the core of who you were. Some of us may need to go back to Bethel. For some of you, Bethel was, a, was vacation Bible school. For others of you, it was an old-fashioned revival meeting. For some of you, Bethel was the office of a minister where you prayed together. For others, it was in your den or maybe even in your living, in, in your, your bedroom where you prayed. Some of us may need to go back to Bethel. If you've lost your way, if you've lost your joy, maybe you need to go back to Bethel. Ted Trailer was a pastor. I think he was in Pensacola. He'd had a bad stretch. They'd had a terrible business meeting. He had been accused publicly. He'd been attacked. He felt unfairly. His wife was, the, was a target of, of gossip. And, and their church was in such turmoil. The church's reputation in the community was suffering. And, and Ted Trailer just wanted to quit. But he got a visit one evening by three of his friends. They were bearing two big chunks of rock. They had been to Pisgah, Alabama, not far from here, which is where Ted grew up, where the students were last weekend at their student retreat. They'd gone back to the home place of Ted Trailer. He always talked about that rock, where he would go, where he felt the call to preach, where he would go and he would practice preaching, that place where he felt like he personally encountered God, where he would wrestle with God on that rock. And so these three guys had snuck off to Pisgah and come back to Ted Trailer's place, showed up at his house. With, they'd broken off two big hunks of that rock, and they said, we think you need to remember. And so he planted those two chunks of rock in his yard. That was his Bethel, where the, the call had grown faint and dim, and his passion had waned in the face of controversy and he he had to go back to his Bethel our first church a lady told me about his her father a father whose whose commitment to the church had fizzled whose who had left in many ways his Christian commitment and a man whose lifestyle was un, unhealthy for himself and hurting other people around him but he remembered the barn on the farm where he'd grown up, the barn where he had first thrown himself on the mercy of God and asked for a new beginning. There where he had met God, where he became a follower of Jesus in that barn. And so he drove back home. Into the barn he walked. 
threw himself again on the mercy of God, pled for forgiveness and a new beginning, he went back to his Bethel. If you've lost your joy, if you've lost your way, maybe you need to go back to Bethel. If you can't go back physically, in your heart, in your spirit, you can return to that time when, when the Bible was precious to you and prayer was a gift to you and you loved the church and your, your heart was at peace and your behavior more aligned with your spiritual values. Maybe you need to go back to Bethel. But Travis... I don't have a Bethel. When you talk about this encounter, this mystical encounter with God, I, I've never experienced that. I, I've been in church and I've tried to do good and I say grace before meals, but I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't want to cast seeds of doubt where they should not be sown, but, but they're and your experience doesn't have to be somebody else's. It, some people, it's a, it's a momentous thing. I can tell you now the times the old song says, I can take you to the place where the Lord saved me by His wonderful grace. For some people, it's like that. For others, it's a process. It's an evolution. But there is a point in time seen perhaps only by God when we cross, to quote the Bible, from death to life. But this can be your Bethel right here. And I'm going to look right to that camera right there and speak to our folks, our friends who join us by television, wherever you are. And this very day can be your Bethel. If you'll cast yourself on God's mercy, say, Lord, I, I turn and, and I trust Jesus, not my own goodness. This can be a day of, of new beginning. If you have a Bethel, you might need to go back. If you don't, today can be your Bethel.